Hello, everyone. This is Ari in the Air. Welcome back to the podcast. Stoked you're here. I have a funny story about my voice today. Um, basically, I encountered this Batman mask, and then for the last couple of months, I've been like with the children in my neighborhood. I've been giving them this like Batman voice, and they actually don't know who Batman is, but it's still pretty funny. And I say, "Geo, this is Batman. Get in the mobile." We're going on patrol. I need your help. Don't forget the grappling gun. And the children just love it. And so I found this uh, this Batman mask. And so the rest of my day was basically filled with Batman voice. <laughs> and I literally Batman voice myself hoarse. <laughs> and I've had an awful sore throat ever since. So uh, Batman is still recovering. So please bear with me on this intro. But um, I can reassure you that the Batman, the gravelly Batman voice intro will be soothed by our guest today. Daniel Kazanjian is back for his fourth time on the podcast, and his voice is just so soothing and buttery smooth. I, I know you'll, you'll agree. Um, and Daniel is a philosopher from Toronto. He also has worked as a productivity coach, and in general, he's just an amazing guy. He's one of Peter Lindbergh's close friends and has been involved in the philosophy scene in Toronto for a long time and I just really appreciate the way he holds conversation and his insights and he's also extremely handsome which helps a lot so today on the podcast we talk a lot about productivity and I wanted to separate the difference between like toxic productivity culture which is something that I think we've all heard of um, and is a outcome of late stage capitalism and capitalism in general um, and what Daniel points out in productivity is basically a way to be in deeper alignment with yourself, which is, as he says, the best thing on offer. And I couldn't agree more. So as a person who needs to be more productive often and is easily distracted and, um, I'm so good at doing my sports and the things that really excite me, but the things that are like uh, other opportunities, I kind of have a lossy system. So tightening up the filter on my system so that um, less opportunities pass me by is something I'm very interested in. So that's the stance from which I have this conversation with Daniel, and it's really super helpful. I will put in the show notes Daniel's uh, website, the way you can get a hold of him if you're looking to do philosophical coaching or productivity coaching he does a really uh, amazing job at both of those things and uh, myself as well i'm available for your philosophical coaching needs that's airyintheair.com slash coaching and without further ado my friends here's a little bit of music this is a dj marley carroll uh, mixing some nice tunes and then a great talk with my friend daniel kazanjian enjoy Thank you.
Okay, Daniel, thanks for being here. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's great to be here with you, Gary. Okay, so I also want to just like briefly congratulate you on the Metagame podcast that you've recently mm-hmm. released, which is super rad. I listened to the Alexander Bard episode. He's much more interesting than I ever thought. And uh, I'm looking forward to listening to your episode with our mutual friend, Andrew Taggart, the OG of Philosophical Coaching. Um, so congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. That last one with uh, Andrew was uh, really poignant for me. And I almost, listening to it almost feels like um, like taking like a microdose, like <laughs> listening back to it. It's, it's all about like the really deep questions of like life and death and stuff. I love that. Yeah, that's uh, that's who you want to talk to if you're asking the deepest questions of life as Andrew Taggart. So, um, and the album art is just fantastic. Uh, <laughs> the podcast art is fantastic. I love it. Great. So, the impetus for this conversation is a presentation that you made at the Stoa regarding productivity and certain systems that you have implemented, have learned and implemented in your life um, to manage your productivity. And you and I had a brief exchange after that, that um, you let me share the things that kind of came up for me as I listened to you talk about these various systems. Um, One of the things that came up was just this like identity pushback that I don't need systems of, of, productivity because I don't care enough and I'm, I'm not a nerd and I'm, I'm free. Um, and so I wanted to hear from you this, like these, this kind of duality, the two, the two sides of the productivity coin, because some of us are beginning to recognize and it's being talked about more and more that we live inside of a productivity culture that our entire paradigm in late stage capitalism is based in growth and work and work and work and i think that you know we all so many of us see that all the way from our how our education grooms us to be wage slaves and just so many various ways that our entire paradigm is shifted towards capitalism and production. Mm -hmm. So there is a negative aspect to that, especially in the healing realms. The conversation is, is, um, you know, sometimes that productivity culture gets bleeds into healing and therapy that everything needs to be productive. You have to have a breakthrough. You have to do the thing. You need to like meditate as your work. Like, Like there's, there's, it's, there's definitely some bleed over here. So I'm hoping that you can clean this up for us and we can dig into like what the negative toxic productivity is and maybe you can help us see that, point that out as you see it. And then on the far side of it, there's there was a an amazing thing that you said to me the other day, which was that being in integrity with yourself is the best thing on offer. And that's stuck with me and I've been thinking about that. And so your point was that you use 
systems of productivity as a way to keep yourself in alignment with yourself. And that's mm -hmm. the best thing on offer. So I'm hoping that we can see the negative so that we can point out the let's not go there. This is where we don't want to be with like just late stage capitalism infiltrating and telling us how to be more and more productive. And that's there's also like this hustle grind Gary mm -hmm. Vee kind of like sounds good for a minute, but then like it feels bad in my body and I spit it out almost immediately. And then there's this other thing of like, I do have a deep sense that I am not everything I could be. Yeah. And that my systems of organization, productivity, how I manage my time, how I organize my emails, whether or not I let projects and opportunities slip through the cracks past me or whether I can really face everything that's coming towards me um, is something that resonates with me. I know that that I know that I have more. And so my intuition is that your productivity could point me in that direction or might be pointing you in that direction in your life. Yeah, actually let's, let's start with that feeling. Um, I think everybody has this sense that they're not fully living up to their potential, quote unquote, mm. you know, a lot of people resonate with that. Some people, they rebel against that. They're like, no, like I, I am complete in this moment. I don't, I don't need to feel that. Um, and I think sometimes people, they, they try to practice, um, quelling that feeling, you know, in, in various ways. Maybe it means like improving their career or maybe it means just learning all this spiritual stuff that tells you that you're enough. And my take is, is a little bit different. It's I'm looking to see um, what's the wisest interpretation of that feeling. Because I've seen it. It's been true for me for my whole life. And I've seen it in basically everybody. Like almost everybody I talk to, they have some sense that they could be more. And I think it manifests in like a pathological way a lot of the times. Because late stage capitalism, marketing, Instagram culture, whatever... Uh, plays on that feeling and then people do all these things to like feel a bit better but I actually think that it has some wisdom to it because not you know the world isn't perfect you know there are things we can do to make it better mm -hmm. there are things you can do in your immediate environment to make it better and there's a natural impulse within human beings to do that and when we're in alignment with that impulse I think we feel good about our lives Another way to think about it is I think everybody has an impulse, an inbuilt impulse for beauty. You know, at the bottom of this all, it's like a, it's like some desire for beauty. And like, if you really follow and hone that impulse, then it's going to demand things of you. You're going to realize like, oh, this corner of my room is not that beautiful. My, uh, my relationship with my roommates is not that beautiful. My relationship with my art is not that beautiful. And you have this like impetus towards something that's better. And it's, it's quite demanding, you know, it, it, it implies hierarchy. And I think a lot of people have difficulty with that. So for me, the, the question then is, how do I, how do I um, redeem, how do I develop a good relationship with that intuition that things could be better? And so that it feels like an exciting adventure as opposed to some tyrannical, you know, like father figure who's like scolding me because I'm not good enough. And in my explorations of that, I realized at some level you encounter reality 
and you need skills, you need competence with reality. You need whatever your reality is. You know, if you're a woodworker, it's, you know, dealing with wood. But if you're a knowledge worker, it's dealing with knowledge and abstract information and tabs on your Chrome browser and emails and Slack messages and like all this stuff. And so there's a there's a skill set there. And the word that we use these days to describe that domain of expertise, um, it's a very like it's kind of a dirty word these days, but it's productivity. It's productivity skills. Um, I don't know. And so, some of it is digital literacy. Some of it is like energy management. Some of it is knowledge management. Um, but people refer to it as productivity. So in the in the healthiest sense, to kind of come back to the two poles you just laid out, there's like a healthy side to this and an unhealthy side. I think true productivity, you know, like the health, the good stuff, it's about listening to that impulse within you about how things could be better and more beautiful. And then getting clear on the tasks that that then demands of you. And then having integrity with that. It's really just about integrity. And integrity means you get really good at choosing which promises you make to yourself and to others. So you don't promise too much and then like fall out of integrity. And you get really good at executing on the promises that you make. It's like those two skills. If you start scaling that up um, across time, across your, your digital environment, then you need some, some way to track all of that. And then next thing you know, these little productivity systems start to emerge, but that's all like secondary to the, to the real project, which is about integrity. So that's on the good side on the not so good side. I think it's very easy for people to feel, um, you know, we've talked about this before, but our generation's very spiritually unmoored. You know, there's the term, the meaning crisis, um, Human beings are kind of religious in, in terms of their wiring, but we don't really have sophisticated um, responses to that wiring right now. So careerism starts to take over as like the primary religion or wokeism or any kind of like, like politics or the new religion. And I think hustle culture and making money and getting achievements that you can flaunt is like a form of religion for a lot of people. And so if it's coming if your desire to be more productive comes from that place, then you're just going to be like a, a tool to the capitalist machine. You're not going to have an authentic life. Your, your impulses towards beauty are going to be corrupted. And that's where some of like the dirty negative uh, aspects of productivity and the cult of productivity come up for me. Hmm. I want to go back just a little bit. There was something that you said that was very interesting to me, which is that I essentially heard that for you to make decisions on what's important to you, it is hierarchical. You have to be able to make a value distinction mm. about what is better, what is good, what is beautiful, what is more beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's like a rank order. And people are currently averse to that. Tell me about this hierarchy aversion, because we, so many of us, are familiar with the the meme that goes around that that Western civilization is based in power hierarchies of just power, mm -hmm. and that our entire society is corrupted with just 
nothing but hierarchical power structures. So what's happening? Like what? Uh, it's a little bit of a cultural observation tangent, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that. No, I think I think it's a good tangent. I think this is one of the like primary uh, pieces of malware that's operating at like the base layer of our generation's software, basically. Um, people have like a really strange relationship with hierarchy. And uh, actually Nietzsche talks about this. Um, mm. But it, it's, uh, yeah, I said the N word. <laughs> um, so the, my, my take on this, and I haven't thought too deeply about it. A lot of it is like intuition based. Um, it's that if you're honest about how things can be better, or if you, if you have any value, right? If you say like, like, let's, let's get specific. Like if, if you say like, um, I don't know, like, like improvising. I'm oh. sorry. I just like just say that Nietzsche is the Nietzsche is the like, <laughs> word that's so good. Sorry. Please yeah, no, he's, he's a volatile philosopher. I had to let it, I had to let it out. Yeah. yeah. People, uh, yeah. People like some bad people like Nietzsche, some good people like Nietzsche. He's, he's a volatile philosopher. Um, but yeah, let's take anything that somebody might want to be good at, you know, like music, um, some people can't play the piano. Some people can kind of play the piano and some people can play it incredibly well. And it's not really controversial if you're like honest about it, right? Like a, like a mm. trained classical pianist has dexterity that the average person just doesn't have. Yeah. And we like it because they create beautiful music. And some people might like say, oh, that's, you know, all socially constructed. And like the reason why you think that's beautiful is because it was like indoctrinated in you, blah, blah, blah. I don't agree with that. I think, yeah, there's like a cultural component to what we think is valuable for sure. Like obviously, but there's also just like hard things, like things that are hard to do that if you get good at, you just, you create like rarefied experiences for other human beings, right? Like you were just telling me that mm. you were, you were gliding for eight hours, right? Mm. That's like, I can't do that. Just hearing that story, I'm like excited, right? So there's like an implicit hierarchy there because mm -hmm. you just did something really hard that's like really cool. Just like, you know, the classical pianist can do stuff that non-musicians can't do. And then immediately from that, like as soon as you put that in the ground, you realize, oh, there's there's now like, there's there's like a system, like a rank order system, to use your word, where some people are better than others in this domain. And I think mm -hmm. people are very sensitive about that because this idea, like some people being better than others, it's just, it's like a very offensive idea because I think I, I, my, my suspicion there is a lot of people don't know their like intrinsic worth as human beings. Mm -hmm. Like you can't ultimately measure the value of a human being because human beings are as in my beliefs are transcendent, you know, they're, they're beyond, they're invaluable, but then mm -hmm. our capitalist structure, like, tries to value everybody based on all these different dimensions. And so people start to feel like, oh, I don't like that. That doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. So then they reject the whole idea of hierarchy to begin with, or they, they get very mm -hmm. dishonest about it. Not everybody, yeah. but people yeah. get dishonest or about it. To like, to JVP it, it's like that hierarchies of competence, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. that I'm way better at paragliding than you are, yeah. is inherently a hierarchy of power. Competence hierarchy and power hierarchy are like inextricably linked is uh, 
the malware that I hear. Mm -hmm. You said that there was malware, and that's kind of how I see the malware. I, I th it, the way I see it is that humans are, like my brain just naturally does hierarchy so well, always has. Like literally in the grocery store, mm -hmm. I can look at any product and the price and tell you if it's a good deal, bad deal, or average. Just like, just my brain just does it. Right. For a long time, my entire awake experience has been that I can track names and faces and social hierarchy of like who just like feels like who is cool and who relates to who and like the social network is just like a hierarchy and it just like it just is in humans like that's not something that I was taught that's not even something I was like indoctrinated for like literally I my brain my body does that mm -hmm. like we track hierarchy yeah and you know it's it's worth mentioning that hierarchies are can can be imperfect and corrupt and they they do need to be critiqued right because not every hierarchy Absolutely. is is this like perfect um system of merit right like people game these hierarchies Agreed. all the time and mm -hmm. so the wisdom in in the critique of hierarchy and that's like quite common in our generation is that the way these things have been set up is has been corrupt in some sense and it, for Absolutely. certain people in particular, maybe certain identity groups, they there's no way they can win at that game because it's the the deck is stacked against them, and that's actually true. Absolutely. That's actually true Absolutely. in certain respects, but it's a it's a question of degree, and it's a question of you know it's case by case. It's the, a lot of the nuance is lost. Yes, but here's the thing. Here's the mm. thing: is if you lose the ability to make hard judgments uh hard value evaluations then you lose the ability to say what is corrupted because corrupt is a hierarchy yes tainted is a hierarchy it's literally yeah. like we have to be able to rank order which hierarchies are healthy and which aren't yes and if we have to throw hierarchy away it's like saying there's nothing true well mm -hmm. that's like it just doesn't it just falls on its face so my my point here that as we've uh, this tangent that i hear is that if we want to make positive changes in our behavior so that we can feel and live in more integrity as a way to step ever closer towards our own lived potential mm -hmm. we are forced to step face-to-face -face with hard value judgments of what is better for us, what is beautiful for us, what is good. Mm -hmm. It's like we're going to run into moral philosophy. We're going to run into like like um, this logistical thing that you, know, that you laid out at the Stoa, like logistics of like how am I going to manage my time, my energy, my projects, all the way towards like what is mine to do, like mm -hmm. I think that, you know, to, to start on productivity, you actually, if you're not going to be just a Gary V paper chaser, you, you're going to run into some philosophy. You're going to run into some big questions of like, okay, like if I'm going to be productive at something, what am I being productive in service to? Mm -hmm. And you're going to run into hierarchy. You're going to run into value judgments. And you have to be able to make those. Like I literally know men in my life who 
have a hard time saying that one thing is better than the other because they've swallowed kind of the woke everything is like yeah. kind of like subjective pill and they are depressed because they can't make value distinctions for themselves and for their families that are hard and they lose an ability to lead and to like have clarity and concision in their lives yeah it's it's interesting these these terms like leading um you know even like clarity or like decisions like all of these um require direction mm -hmm. and that like having a hierarchy gives you direction you know even if it's like not you know the best hierarchy just having some value that you think is better than where you are now yeah. is is really important for psychological well-being and you know you said you're going to run into philosophy and stuff um another thing that came up in my head was like you're going to run into reality and there's almost something yeah. so uh th this is a, I, I can tie this into like the the nietzsche comment earlier um, Nietzsche would talk about, uh, and this is going to be like a very cartoonish definition of, of his philosophy, but he, he would talk about, uh, master morality and slave morality. Have you ever heard those terms? No. Okay. So basically master morality is like developing primary skills and competence and virtues in contact with reality. This is the way I understand it. So being able to build a house, right? You just that's a hard thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. And you created shelter for people as a result of it. Or um, being really healthy, like building like a beautiful physique and like eating really well and like sculpting your body in the gym, etc. Like these are, you have to encounter reality and develop competence with it. Even, you know, the music example, the paragliding example, this is all on the side of this. It's like this first order level of skills and competence and virtues that come from learning how to dance with reality and all its constraints mm -hmm. and then he was criticizing um a certain brand of christianity and also kind, kind of the political um and academic priestly class of the time with this other category which is slave morality where you're basically playing word games and concept games or you're abusing philosophy to try to critique the virtues of master morality you're trying to critique the virtues of the people that are just better than you at paragliding and so you start uh -huh. saying things like well they're only better because um you know they come from privilege and actually there's this whole you know literature that you should understand about the privilege that certain groups of people have and why they're able to succeed in society and you develop like competence in this like dark world mirror image hierarchy in a way mm -hmm. but it's divorced from reality it's all based on um, on like cultural ideas and things that are like a, a couple degrees removed from primary, like from contact with the physical world. Mm. And I, I really like that as like a very sim simple way to kind of remind myself that, um, you know, today we, we spend a lot of time, many degrees removed from the real world, right? We we're on a, on a call right now. We have like monitors in front of us and stuff. And we're playing with symbols all day. We're not actually like, we're not woodworking, you know? Most of us aren't mm -hmm. musicians, like dealing with like the physics of a musical instrument, etc. And so developing, like the hierarchies to me that, that are very simple and straightforward and the ones that immediately speak to that inner impulse of beauty and inner, inner like value judgment of like making things better 
all have that like direct contact with reality. And whenever I'm in like a, a hyper academic or hyper intellectual space, I start to get like a little bit suspicious because we could just be playing word games that have no bearing on our actual lives. You know, it's just, yeah, they're not grounded, not grounded. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> this is a very interesting tangent for me and something that I've been thinking about so much. Um, because there is this, there's the one impulse you say is like in humans is like towards beauty. And I would also say like goodness. And there's some ways in the culture that I've observed where it's almost like I've been hijacked by a overused compassion that wants to like save everyone mm -hmm. and save everything at, at once almost. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the confused distinctions, I would say, as I can see it, is that hierarchy is inherently competitive. Yeah. And in some sense, rank ordering is in itself competitive, but being in different levels of the hierarchy doesn't inherently mean that you're competitive. It's almost like if you took a religious example... It's that a Zen master is not competing with the monks in the monastery. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a, this is not a competition, but there's certainly some hierarchical difference in experience and mastery. you know it's and and the breakdown of and I would ultimate say ultimately say slander of these base, reality systems that are in the universe all the way down, all the way up, you know, like in the Ken Wilbur sense that like a atom is less complex than a molecule. And there's a hierarchy there and like increasing levels of complexity from molecule to cell to organ to organism to ecology. Like there's just like, there's just increasing levels of complexity that is its own hierarchy. And that is something that to lose a clean appreciation for is a sense of, it is a type of insanity. And we mm -hmm. are dealing with that right now. And I don't know, it is a very difficult thing to talk about because the culture that we live in has placed social landmines everywhere around this so that the that it's shrouded in taboo and cancel right mm -hmm. um but and, and i wasn't expecting the conversation to go in this direction but i'm so happy that it has because it really does illuminate for me that there's like the two sides of this, which is like one, like I have to be a dreamer. I have to like follow like the aesthetic of beauty. And then the other one is like, I have to work to like cut away the fat and the untruth and the illusion and the delusion from my life and yeah. from my relationships and from my work. Like I have to be able to like come into right relationship with hierarchy in my own life so that I can be sane so that I can live in fucking reality. Mm -hmm. And then when we look out on the culture, we're looking at a culture that is like, averse to that 
You know, like at the top, at the top, the achievers, the fucking people who have a bunch of money are looking down at me like, what are you talking about? The hierarchy is not real. Like I obviously am better at business than you. I have way mm-hmm. more money than you. And I don't give a fuck what you say about hierarchy. It's obviously real. You can see it in nature. It's like, and you know, like the thing that as, as you started this tangent, the thing that came up in my head, I just remember like seeing this, like, uh, this interview with John McEnroe, he's like commentating on, on, on tennis you know he's like one of the greatest tennis players of all time and the female co-host asks him about serena williams and says that she's one of the greatest players of all time and he says no she's the she is the greatest female tennis player of all time and she says why do you have to say female Mm -hmm. and he says well because it's like serena's like at at her prime she's like 700th in the world like there's 700 men in the world that would beat serena williams Yeah, yeah and it's like like if you can't hold the duality in your head that she's the best female tennis player of all time and there's 700 men in the world, like there's division one tennis players in college that could beat her mm-hmm, is like mm-hmm. the fact that you can't hold that duality in your head and you think that serena williams loses all of everything that she's worked so hard for and that she was gifted with yeah like oh god what a state of what a just a well it, to I not a it's like an appreciation there, of beauty something that's going on there is um it's like i think people see that as the my interpretation of that little interview is that people see that as a, a big insult it's like, oh, she's 700th in the world or whatever. And it it's only an insult if you have like a very cartoonish notion of excellence. You know, if your notion of excellence <laughs> is not um, sophisticated, it's, right? It's like a kid's level of understanding of, you know, it's like, because really someone's, someone's like, um, the, the amount of admiration I have for someone and their success is also a function of what gifts they've been given, right? Like if, if you, you know, if you're like, if you have some sort of like physical limitation um, and you optimize your, your physique as much as you can within the boundaries of that physical limitation. Like I saw this, um, this video, this, this, uh, this guy, in, I think he was in India, had some sort of like uh, disease that led to atrophy, like mus- muscular atrophy in his lower body. But then he like built this like bodybuilder, like upper body physique as like his way of kind of transcending Mm -hmm. that uh, genetic curse that he'd been given or something that, you know, he's, he's definitely not the best bodybuilder, right? Like he's like ranked, you know, nothing in the whole bodybuilding thing because it looks like he's been skipping leg day, but it's because he was sick. And so he still gets like a profound level of admiration, like maybe more admiration from me than say Arnold Schwarzenegger, who also gets admiration for what he did with his physique. And it's, it's like this, um, there, I think people are afraid of that lack of like calibration, you know, mm-hmm. like w- women mm-hmm. and men have different genetic potentials on average. Mm-hmm. So Serena Williams being the best female tennis player in the world is, is insane. Like that's, that's fucking amazing. But mm-hmm. I'm also not going to think that she's the best tennis player in the world. And like, that doesn't take anything away from her accomplishments at all. Right. It's, it's still a human being. Yeah push themselves to like the upper echelons of excellence within their genetic capacities that that's really profound 
It is profound. And I think that there's an important thing here, which is if we unpack best tennis player in the world, we are looking at a arbitrary mm-hmm. game that we have created that has a very, very strict set of boundaries, of rules, right? Like the height of the net, the size of the court, the size of the ball, the makeup of the ball, the rules about your racket, like the all the rules of the game, like it is incredibly fixed. It is and it is arbitrary. It's created. We have created it ourselves. So that is to say that to appreciate Serena Williams for being the best female tennis player in the world is to understand that she is the best at this very specific, very demanding, challenging, beautiful, strategic, mm-hmm. complex as fuck, beautiful, beautiful game that I just love to watch. I love to play tennis and I love to watch tennis. It's my favorite sport to watch. So to lose sight of the hierarchy is to lose sight of the exact game itself, right? Yeah, you know, this This might be a good time for me to introduce uh, my con- my favorite like concept recently, the metagame, and what I, what I mean by that. Um, because I think this analogy of a game is, is very useful when it comes to this kind of thing. Okay. If you imagine, like visually, all the potential hierarchies, you know, like the tennis hierarchy, the piano hierarchy, the paragliding hierarchy, um, repre- represented as pyramids in the landscape, you know? Yep. And there's like, you know, very few people at the top who are like in the, mm-hmm. you know, 99th percentile and there's everybody, you know? So you have this landscape of pyramids. Um, it's not obvious what's like the, no- the number one pyramid that you want to be really good at. And they're also not completely discreet because being really good at tennis makes you a little bit better at a bunch of other things that demand, you know, physical abilities and excellence and discipline. So you're also getting good at like these like other virtues. And these so to meta me, the games, these like these sub games to, yeah, the, to, to me, the metagame, like, I don't think we'll, I, I'm not expecting to ever know what like the ultimate hierarchy is, you know, and what the ultimate thing to be good at is like my closest guess to that is wisdom. I think wisdom is the word that we use for, for that category of, of competence, right? Like, knowing the right thing to do and doing it, you know, having the ability to do it. Um, so to me, the, the metagame is about stepping out of that and like being very conscious of which of these hierarchies you're playing in and opting into the ones that you should be playing that you're not and opting out of the ones that you shouldn't be playing, right? So, you know, like for instance, I encourage people to step out of rigid corporate career hierarchies because I, I think generally speaking, they have more to give than the institution will recognize. And so being able to take this step back and then play this game of looking at the set of all possible games and, and like flying over this landscape of hierarchies and like uh-huh. jumping into the ones that you think are, are wise to, to be in and then getting good at those, like that, that I think is like a, a more balanced perspective on this because yeah, like who cares if someone's like really good at some man-made sport that somebody made, you know, that we call tennis that we like value for whatever reason. Well, maybe because it also brings a bunch of other virtues and skills that are that are just good, good to have, and you can apply in other places. Mm. 
What a beautiful way to lead us out of the weeds there, the cultural <laughs> rant. That's beautiful. I, I love the idea that the hierarchies, the pyramids, they're not discrete nor mutually exclusive, right? Yeah. If you're climbing the tennis hierarchy, you're also climbing the how fast you can run a 440, like mm-hmm. how quick you are, your hand-eye coordination, your stamina, your mental capacity to you know, continue accurately serving the ball while you're getting crushed by your opponent, you know, like all of these different hierarchies are not mutually exclusive. And I love the idea that you want to opt into the ones that are good and that are right for you, that you are choosing deliberately, that you're not just like slave morality and yourself into, Mm -hmm. um, that aren't being driven entirely by your shadow and you want to opt out of the ones that you don't like that aren't good for us collectively, you know, like the, the income as, as power is like a bad one for us, right? The really rivalrous, like super competitive, how do you dupe con and fight, claw your way to the top is like mm-hmm. not a great hierarchy for us collectively we know that so being able to opt into the good ones opt out of the bad ones and then actually being able to climb yeah climbing is a whole fucking skill of its own you can choose the hierarchies which includes admitting hierarchy and it's not even admitting that i feel it makes me a little sick to say admitting hierarchy Like it's not, this is, it's only a new thing. I just want to like go back to my cultural rant for just Mm -hmm. one sec. It's a new thing to deny hierarchy. And you know what? It might not even be that common of a thing because I don't really, I only know a couple people like in person who, um, who have like issues with hierarchy, like Uh really just like a handful of people in my whole life. All the people that I know that are saying these, I think like, small-minded critiques of it they're they're like online or they're journalists or it's true so but that gets so much play it it seems like it does right but maybe it's a very small minority and like everybody for the most part is like this is kind of silly like of course you can be better at some things and it doesn't mean that you're like a better person just means you're a better i I totally agree i totally agree and this but but at the same time this this bleeds into the gay pride trans rights like all of this like so much social justice has a tinge of like of this no hierarchy meme like that's it's in there right but so what 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 is the wisdom of that you know like there is every ideology is like right about something they just kind of like overextend it my man yeah i would say the steel man there is that like You said it. You said it. It was that humans are invaluable. And like everyone, regardless of their everything, should be treated with dignity. Mm-hmm. Right? Like there's a there's a, like a, a human dignity that we are capable of delivering to every person on the planet at this point in civilization that we ought be delivering. That we ought be, maybe not delivering isn't the right word, but like 
working towards, like acknowledging, affirming, mm-hmm. supporting. That like, that the hierarchy of like race, sexual preference, gender identity are not hierarchies that should be used to determine a person's place in the other hierarchies of like how much money they make and like how much value they have and how much dignity and respect they receive in society. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or how people should be valued with like a capital V value, you know, like, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're like worth as a human being as like a, a divine moment of consciousness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to fucking bang on that drum Mm -hmm. the whole time. But there's all these other chimes in there that I'm like, wait, no, no, we don't actually have to, we don't actually have to break down the concept of hierarchy yeah. to say that everyone is, deserves love, deserves love, is invaluable mm-hmm. in their existence, is part of the cosmos, like just like, oh, naturally that is. And I have all kinds of cultural observations of like what is happening in protected class and how people who are feeling oppressed and unmoored, as you're t- saying, might be magnetized towards uh, protection, inclusion, acceptance. And I so want that for people. But there's, there's like, you know, just like as we have a uh, generally like a sick culture around our late stage capitalism in 2022, there's shadow in, in the, in the whole thing. So one of the uh, things that I just so appreciate our conversations for is that you're like, a, you're a very hard steel for me and I can sharpen my ideas mm-hmm. and clarify and the, 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 as you hear me pushing back against something, the, your question of what is the steel man there is so appreciated because I, I want to zoom in on that steel man and I want to fucking just like hit that bullseye over and over and over. Yeah. You know, it's like acceptance on one side, you know, you're accepted as you are. And then this idea of like, things could be better. And those, those two things are in tension with one another. And some people don't like the tension. You know, some people are like, well, no, like I'm just going to reject this whole idea of things being better because I just want to accept, I want to accept everybody. I want them to feel accepted. And that's like, you know, I get that. I want people to feel accepted. I want to feel accepted, but there's also something really great when someone's like, Hey, you're not everything you could be. And I see that. And I, I love you enough that, I'm going to tell you the truth about that. And I'm going to encourage you to be better. And that's, I think like I, the, the key is to like hold that paradox, you know, just mm-hmm. to like simultaneously accept yourself and show compassion for yourself and the people around you for where they are and who they are, but also never forget that like you have this, this impulse for, for excellence and beauty and uh-huh. things could be better and you're not everything you could be and accept that part of you as well. And then mm-hmm. have this like unfolding, you know, instead of being at war with yourself. Wow. The dualities, these poles, the pole on one side that you want to accept yourself just as you are. Mm-hmm. Self-love, self-acceptance, radical. And then the other pole of, I know that there's something that I could do today that would make me a little bit better. 
and make me a little bit more prepared for tomorrow and a little bit more in position to give my gift to the world, a little bit cleaner, a little bit purer, a little bit stronger. Mm-hmm. Those two things are absolutely in tension with each other. I love that idea. And I would almost say that they're like like a fractal, just like when you mentioned that the part of you that wants to be better for yourself, you also want to accept that part of you. Yes. And you want to improve that part of you so that you can achieve more. And I feel like this is exactly the where we are painting the picture of this positive and important philosophy of productivity where it is picking the hierarchies that are beautiful and wise and then learning how to climb them all nested inside of accepting yourself right where you are and letting that human evolutionary urge that is embedded inside of you in every cell in every atom to rise into higher and higher levels of complexity and synthesis into larger holes. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's delicious. It reminds me of this quote. I'm going to butcher, but I'll get the spirit of it. I think it's Ram, Ram Das. He said, like, everything in the universe is perfect as it is, including my desire to change it. Mm. Um, and I... You know, sometimes like you get these paradoxes and it almost feels like, um, like it's, oh, now it's incoherent. Like we, we didn't solve anything. We just like set an incoherent statement, but more and more I'm, I'm realizing that, yeah, you know, maybe at a linguistic level, it's going to seem incoherent, but at a embodied level or at like a deeper intuitional level, there's like a, some sort of resolution to that paradox because I, I have an impulse for instance, to get better at the piano. Um, and I know that when I follow that impulse, I, and I'm like practicing, I experience this, like this bliss where like everything's perfect in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I'm making the next moment better. And I think there is a way to lock into that game. Um, sometimes this happens when I meditate too, like more generally, let's say like without your life, like throughout your life where you're fully accepting what you're doing right now, because it feels like the right thing to do. You know, you're like, I'm. I'm where I need to be. I'm in this conversation with Ari. I'd rather, I wouldn't rather be anywhere else right now. But I also know that by participating in this, I'm making the next moment a bit better, even though I'm not really concerned about the next moment. Mm-hmm. And then there's this alignment with what's happening right now. So you can kind of let go into the present and accept everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But th- you're also, the next moment's getting better too. So it engenders like an upward spiral. And I haven't really figured out how to, live like that on a regular basis but sometimes i'll find myself in that state you know it's like my present orientedness and future orientedness like are in right relationship with one another yeah and they're aligned they're like yeah. the stream is flowing in both in the same direction there yeah i think that's a great segue i would love to hear you alluded to in your presentation you alluded to your systems of productivity directly making your life better. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear 
like how that actually worked, felt, uh, works in general. Yeah. So um, the systems, when I say systems, what I mean is I do like a, a modified version of the getting things done method, which is uh, kind of like the old school productivity Bible came out in the early 2000s, written by David Allen. Um, and then I also have a, a knowledge management system, um, which basically means like I have some, there's some intelligence to the way I capture information I encounter in books, in podcasts and, you know, online. We're in like an information glut. So I think you need a system of some form or some thought around how you're going to engage with information on the internet and elsewhere. Um, and then I have practices, so habits that keep all of that kind of running smoothly. And also when it doesn't run smoothly, which is often, um, I have like minimum versions of it that I can come back to. So like when life you know gets super chaotic and what I'll say is the hyper like systematic approach of like, let's say, let's say getting things done, the getting things done method, um, which I won't recount here, but basically it offers like a five step way to like manage all your internal commitments and stuff. Um, that the, the, the true benefit of like disciplining myself to learn that and then to do it like every day and do all the five steps and do like my reviews and capture everything and write it down in a certain way. The true benefit of that, yes, like I got more productive. I was able to, my capacity improved. I could, I could handle multiple projects on the go and um, improve my ability to stay on top of them because I had, you know, a system that was tracking it. That was a benefit. But the bigger benefit was it made me really clear on all my commitments and this comes back to the integrity thing. I realized, oh yeah, I'm making all these promises, mostly with myself and like with other people. And then I'm not doing them because I don't really know what they are. They're kind of in the back of my mind. Mm. And then I feel shitty on some level because I'm not in an integrity. And I'll give you an example. I have a, a closet down the hall that's uh, become like the storage closet and it's quite disorganized and it's like full of stuff that needs to be like individually attended to. And it's like a you know, a weekend project, you know, and I noticed that I had an internal commitment that I made to like organize that closet. And every time I'd walk by, like literally every single time I'd walk by some part of my body was aware that I wasn't honoring that commitment. And I'd feel like this, like clench in my like chest, or there's like, there's like cycles being spent at the back of my mind. Like I'm wasting my Ram on this like closet every time I see it. And then I became, that became clear to me because I did the whole GTD thing. And then I realized like, oh yeah, that's something I could do, but it's like really not a priority. Like I'm, I'm actually content with like leaving it as it is right now because it's, it's working. And so I renegotiated that commitment and then I freed up that space. And now I don't feel that way when I walk by the closet. So imagine that you have hundreds, thousands of things like that in your life. You know, if you're like in your thirties or older, like You've accumulated all this stuff and some of this stuff goes back like 20 years and it's just floating in the back of your psyche because your psyche doesn't forget these things and it's like slowly taking up ram like tabs in a chrome browser and you just feel off you know but then what if you just like get super clear on that write it all down look at that list and then like delete 90 percent of it because it's not relevant to you anymore or renegotiate it or, or something like that mm it brings you back into this state of integrity, which honestly, it's like the most beautiful state of being I can think of. It's, it's when it's mm -hmm. what I was saying earlier. It's when the present moment is 
perfect, like you're fully accepting it, but you're also simultaneously making the next moment better. And your life just feels like this upward spiral. And you're in your lane. You're not like worried about how like FOMO and, and other stuff because like you're just like focusing on the wisdom of your own integrity. Like you're, you, you have this sense that, okay, if my psyche is telling me this is something important to do and I'm like honestly looking at it, and if I, if I do it, then that's enough. That's enough for a good life, you know? I love this, Daniel. And I feel like as I hear you talk, the like the closets in my life just pop up. Mm-hmm. Right? The closets in my life that I just like, mm. Do you mind sharing an example? Oh, I have this project that my um, father actually like wants to hire me to help basically liaison between his company and the Bureau of Land Management Mm. to manage his company's big investment into creating mountain bike trails outside of the golf resort that he's developing. And I think I have my own like moral objections and it's like socially been this huge thing about like water rights and everyone's like, Mm. like in a hoopla about this project that my father's been doing for 15 years on our on my great grandparents property that he bought from them. And, and I just don't know where to start. It's like so super out of my scope and I don't know where to start. And so I've just like kind of been paralyzed and I know that I need to be, I know that I need like more maps and I need like the whole like project overview. And I need like, there's just things that I need that he has that I just like, I just like, I'm a bit stuck. Hmm. I'm just a bit stuck. And it's interesting because as you said it, as you said it and you you were speaking about like the closet and whether I renegotiate it with myself and say, it's obvious to me that this is not something that like I have a lot of enthusiasm behind. Or I say, no, this is something I, I like, this is an opportunity. I want to like see it at least through the next step. So I need to take some kind of action. I feel more motivated. I feel uh, there's like a pressure that is released in me because mm. the, the, one of the things that you outline there is that just because you have the project or just because the thing is on your plate doesn't hold your mouth open and stuff it into your mouth. Right. Right. Like you're not going to force feed yourself things, but you have to manage your commitments so that you feel like you're in integrity with the things that you've said and the promises that you've made and the commitments that you have. That is, this is like, that is the fucking integrated productivity. Mm -hmm. It is not about how to do more of the shit that your boss gives you so you can look better to your boss, albeit that might be something you use it for. It is how do you organize, track, and evaluate the projects, commitments, and promises that you've made to yourself and others so that at the end of the day, you feel like you're in integrity with yourself and that you develop this trust and this like, and this is something that I've always felt from you, that you have like this, this trust that your life is going to get better, mm. which literally like I, my, 
most recent ex-girlfriend, like in our breakup, I had this fucking story in my head because she, like you, has this. She has a deep trust that her life is getting better and better and better and is going to continue to, right? And in the fucking depression of our breakup, I was like, fuck, like her life's getting better. She's leaving me behind. Like I should have fucking latched onto her as her life gets better. And now as I start to heal and my heart opens and opens and opens, I start to realize, oh, no, no, my life is getting better too. My life is only, it's going to get better. And so, you know, the thing that, that you said in the, uh, in our last conversation that was being in integrity with yourself is the best thing on offer. Mm -hmm. Like it's the best thing on offer. And you know, the way I, the way I think you meant that was like in the world, (laughs) right? Like the best thing that you can have as a person is your own integrity is feeling like you are in integrity with yourself. And Today we've talked about so much of the underlying work and the some of the things culturally that you have to spit out and you have to pick up and that you have to look at and you have to wrestle with reality. You have to like play the game with the right size tennis ball in the certified court. It's like kind of like there are certain games that have strict rules. Mm-hmm. There are other games that are meta games that you can really be fanciful with the construction of in your life that can be more playful than other games. That's mm. so good, Daniel. And I feel my, like I feel my life supported by this conversation in a really meaningful way. And I have literally felt that every conversation we've ever had. Oh, that's, that's awesome. I I know. And it's like, uh, you know, you and Peter and Lubomir and all these Toronto philosophers, you guys are just like a gang. Um, okay. So I want you to sign off with a synapsis. I want, I want to like cut this out and put it on loop Hmm. for people. I want like a little synapsis that is riddled, infested with thumos and encouragement Hmm. because people are both terrified of facing this thing that's inside of them that says I could be better. I could be more. I am more. Let me fucking out. Put me in the game, coach. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a, that's a scary person to deal with. Like, let's be real. That is a scary, scary person to deal with. And that takes courage. Yes. So we could all use some here in the, in the productivity game. And I think you've done such a great job in beautifully articulating how your vision of productivity and getting things done can keep us in alignment or get us back into integrity with ourselves, which is the best thing on offer. So give us a little synopsis here. Yeah, I think the thing that's coming up for me in response to that is, if anyone's listening to this, you don't actually need another book, another you know, leader, another person like to listen to. You don't need to listen to me with what I'm saying about productivity. There actually is an inherent wisdom to your instincts and it's not going to be perfect. You know, you got to cultivate your instincts, but there's, there's an internal voice that's pointing 
somewhere. And sometimes it's often it's very mundane. It's saying like, do that one thing, you know, like talk to your dad about that business, like clean up that closet, clean your room, you know, send that email, whatever it is. And there's this, this voice in your body that's constantly like telling you stuff. And probably the most important thing for anyone to do is develop a good relationship with that. And that's what I mean by integrity. And if a system helps you with that, if, you know, writing things down, journaling, doing GTD or whatever, if that helps you develop more clarity with that internal voice and develop a good relationship with your instincts and then, then use it. But if not, if you're, it's too nerdy for you, if you're more like a, of like an athlete um, and you don't like this kind of digital stuff, then, then drop it, but do everything you can to get into a better and better state of integrity. Yeah. This is a, I love the idea that the, the voice inside of you is pointing you in that direction all the time, either way, whether you've cultivated it or not. And so often it's mundane and also kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always scream. Although if we don't attend to it, it will. Um, yeah, that sounds like a, there's a sensitivity to listening to yourself. And there's also a courage to act on it, to yes. let it be heard, to bring it into reality. Well, actually, I'm so glad you mentioned courage because almost always, if there's something that your inner voice, your psyche, your your anima, whatever you want to call it, that like mysterious part of yourself that kind of knows things that are good for you. If, if there's something that that voice has been saying for a very long time and you just haven't been listening to it, it's almost always because you have some kind of fear. And that means you need courage and you're like, Oh, like I don't want to do that thing. You know, I'm dreading it. Like, Oh, that's going to be an uncomfortable conversation or, Oh man, like that's just going to feel weird. And the virtue there is courage. Yeah. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I feel encouraged by, by you and encouraging me to use productivity as a way to be more integrated with myself. I could use it. There mm. are times where I just like, uh, I could, I need that. Um, and that's not an external validator. That's just me being in integrity with myself. So I so appreciate it. And I so appreciate your conversation. If someone has listened here and they're like, oh, this guy's fucking on it, which anyone with half a brain is going to realize that. Are you still doing productivity coaching? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Philosophical yeah. productivity coaching. That's what I, that's what I do. Which I think we've laid out a pretty good example of today. Yeah. So I'd highly recommend it. And you can find out all about what I'm up to at themetagame.substack.com, um, where I, that's where I do my writing, and that's also where I post my podcast. And then as well as dkazand.com, so d-k-a-z-a-n-d.com. And actually, I want to share like one hyper practical. I'll have thing. all those links in the bio too. Yeah, cool. One like hyper practical thing because we talked about productivity systems and we kept it like vague. But like a really super practical thing, especially if you're not like that oriented towards digital systems and stuff is literally just get like I do this. I have like a bunch of Uh post-its and then the only like the the true like minimum viable productivity practice is just take time every single day, like five minutes and just ask yourself, what is the highest impact thing I could do today? And that voice will tell you something. 
but you just have to ask yourself and listen and create some space for it. And literally like in two to five minutes, write that on that post-it and just stick it where you see things like on your monitor or something like that. Even if you don't act on it, even if you don't do anything, that little practice of bringing that intuition to, to consciousness and then making it explicit and externalizing it, that's like the fundamental unit of all productivity systems worth their salt. So if somebody wants to like experience it, I just get a deck of post-its and a pen and take two to five minutes every day to ask that question. Oh, that's beautiful. What a beautiful sign off. I have notepads here by the computer and uh, what is the most high impact thing I could do today? It's a great question. Daniel, you're the bomb. It's nice talking to you, Harry. Thank you. Good luck nice with your flight, by you. the way. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, let's do it again soon, bro. Yeah. Okay, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Thank you so much, Daniel, for your fourth time on the show. That conversation was very helpful for me, and I hope it was for you as well. If you'd like this show, if you like this show and you want to support it, you should review it on whatever app you're listening to it on. Uh, give it a rating. That would be helpful. And consider becoming a patron on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash air. I also do philosophical coaching. And if you want to tie, untie existential knots that you have in your life, I'm pretty damn good at that. So if you want to talk, hit me up, air gmail.com or check out my website to schedule a free coaching call. And until then, thank you so much. I'll see you on the next episode, everybody. See you later.